Good evening. It's good to see each one of you here in the Lord's house again tonight. Revival night number four, if you count Sunday. Amen. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And uh, no better place to be tonight. Amen. Let's all stand together and turn to page number 290. Page 290. A new name written down in glory. We'll sing all three verses to begin tonight. Page 290. Sing out on the first. I was once a sinner, but I came pardoned to receive from my Lord. This was freely given, and I found that he always kept his word. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, oh yes, it's mine. And the white-robed angels sing the story, a sinner has come home. For there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, oh yes, it's mine. With my sins forgiven, I am bound for heaven, never more to roam. I was humbly kneeling at the Fearing not but God's angry frown When the heavens opened And I saw that my name was written down There's a new name written down in glory And it's mine, oh yes it's mine And the white-robed angels sing the story A sinner has come home there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine oh yes it's mine with my sins forgiven i am bound for heaven never more to roam in the book is written saved by grace all oh, the joy that came to my soul now i am forgiven and I know by the blood I am made whole. There's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine, oh yes, it's mine. And the white-robed angels sing the story. A sinner has come home. For there's a new name written down in glory. And it's With my sins forgiven, I am bound for heaven, never more to roam. Amen. Great start tonight, preacher. Amen. What a blessing. Sure glad my name's written down in heaven. Amen. Well, good to have you back in the Lord's house uh, tonight. Uh, as you came in, uh, hopefully you got an updated uh, prayer list. We did go ahead and update those. We're not going to take... Uh, prayer requests and do our missions update tonight because tonight's certainly about revival meeting amen uh, but I did just want to mention as we go to the Lord in prayer uh, if you would continue to pray uh, just for several of our folks uh, if you would pray for brother Owen Wood got a text from him uh, today and so he is sick and got fluid uh, around his heart and in his lungs and so pray for him and then also brother Bellis is not here tonight had his eye treatment uh, today and then brother Roy uh, McCray had uh, several tests uh, today, and so continue to pray for him. I know that they would appreciate uh, that. There is also another uh, addition on our prayer list, 
and that is uh, Miss Lizzie Parker is expecting, and so praise the Lord for that, and so continue to pray for them as they are traveling and on uh, deputation, and now things are getting real interesting, amen, and so what a blessing uh, though that is. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight and ask God's hand on our services. Brother Gary Clark, would you pray for us tonight? Let's remain standing, if you would. Turn to page number 19. Page number 19. To God be the glory. We're going to sing the first and last verse together tonight. Page number 19. Sing it out on the first. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. Who yielded his life and atoned. For sin and open the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory great things he had done i'm gonna ask you to get around shake hands together tonight good to see each one back glad for those that are coming back and visiting us well tonight we're thankful you're here
Let's sing it out on that chorus all together. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he hath done. Great things he hath taught us. Great things he hath done. And great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he hath done. Amen. Uh, come tonight and uh, we are going to take up our offering uh, we are doing that each night so of course again is anything that that comes in that's not marked as, as tithe and missions uh, will will go uh, to the meeting and man it's it's just I was just sitting here thinking it's been a great meeting amen and just feel like God has met with us each night uh, we've been helped from the Bible amen and the preaching and it's just been a blessing. And so let's be a blessing in return. Amen. So Brother Will Kennedy, would you pray for us tonight? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Amen. Won't you be seated tonight?
Well, if we're going to be all that we should be for the Lord, we're going to have to keep on the firing line. Amen? I love that song. Let's all stand one last time. Turn to page 238. Page 238. We're going to sing all verses tonight for our last song together. And can it be page number 238? Let's sing it out on the first now. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who
chorus again. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Aren't you thankful for the love of our God tonight? Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Great singing. Just before the message tonight, we're going to have a uh, special from the ladies' trio. Spirit, tell us what 
playing church. Choose your side. Who will you serve? You must decide. The lukewarm life has nothing God desires. Be zealous and repent and get on fire. Be hot or Choose your side. Who will you serve? You must decide. The lukewarm life has nothing God desires. Be zealous and repent and get on fire. Just get If you didn't like that song, that's probably because you're under conviction. Because that's exactly, that's a revival song right there. That's, that's exactly what we need is to get on fire. Amen. Brother Heron, come and preach to us tonight, brother. It's been a blessing. Amen. I've never heard that song before. Can you imagine if a pastor got up and just said, get in or get out? Speak up or shut up? Get on or get off? People would say, my word, he's horrible. Jesus said that, you know, not amazing. I tell my people all the time, hold it, wait a minute now, calm down. I didn't write it. It ain't my book. I didn't write the Bible. He did, you know. It's so don't look at me. I mean, I'm just preaching what he wrote. You generation of vipers, you know, who have warned you to flee judgment that's coming. <laughs> I'm telling you, uh, I don't think the Lord would be near as popular uh, today as some people want to make him out to be. And, uh, you know, I don't think Jesus would need smoke and mirrors and light shows, and I don't think he'd need all that. I don't think there'd be a lot of entertainment going on. I think there'd be a whole lot of preaching going on and a lot of repenting going on, and then there'd be a lot of people leaving him because his sayings were hard, just like they did then. And they would crucify him today just as they did then if they could. So I'm, I'm um, yeah, that was a great song. Thank you for that. And just sparked some thoughts in my mind. Um, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. And let me, let, me just, let me just take a moment, because this is the church here tonight. There's not a lot of visitors tonight. This is, I mean, this is Wednesday night. This is home crowd. And so can I just, see my gray hair? Can I, can I just take advantage of that and just, just... Can I just tell you to thank God for your pastor and his wife and their family? And I know you do, but I want to say it anyhow. Take care of your pastor, his wife, and his family. Love them. Make sure that they have what they need financially. Make sure that he takes time off that goes on vacation. That, that he gets some time where he can recuperate and recharge his battery. 
don't begrudge him of that. When God opens a door for him to preach somewhere else, don't mully grub and gripe about that. Thank God that you've got a pastor that somebody else wants to hear preach. Pray for him while he's gone. While he's gone, send him emails and text and thank him. Plug in and listen to the people that fill this pulpit and thank God you've got people to fill this pulpit. One of the biggest problems in churches is that we get so penny-ante, if you know what that word means, in our treatment of others and in our mentality. Let me help you with this. He's not your man, he's God's man. And if he ever becomes your man, he's going to lose his credentials with the Father. He's God's man. He's got to go and do exactly what God wants him to do. And so give him your heart. I, 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 look, I know this for a fact. Um, there are churches all over America that are looking for good men that will come preach and pastor them. And Brother Wes Stewart could fill any pulpit in this nation. And so, so thank God you've got him. He's the gift. They're the gift of God to you. And um, what I love about him, or one of the things I love about him, is the fact that he's come in and taken a work that uh, other people have bought with their blood, sweat, and tears. And rather than commandeering it on another course, he has stayed the course and strengthened the course. And I thank God for that. Because all over America, there are young guys taking churches that were been bought and paid for by the blood and the investment of good, strong, doctrinal Baptist preachers, and they're, they're, turning, they're turning the hearts of the people in another direction. And so I'm grateful for a man that has the integrity to come in and, and, and stay the stuff. And I, I just wanted to stand before you since it's just church tonight and just tell you you got a treasure. And uh, him and his wife and family, they're wonderful people. Susie and I love them. We've so enjoyed the fellowship this week. And uh, I know you already know this. I know I'm not telling you anything new. I just wanted to say it. Just, just thank God for him because he's a gift to you. Amen. Ephesians 5, would you stand there? We're going to read some scripture. And then we're going to come back to this toward the end of my message. So just stay with me. Let's just... Let's just read this because this is important for us to see. And then we're going to jump over to the book of Genesis for just a little bit. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. You know what that word own is? It's, it's the root of the word ownership. And that gives us a great bit of advice about the family, and that is the family, it's an institution of ownership. I own my wife. Wow, that didn't go over well. We better move quickly. <laughs> Son, I mean, that, wow. No, I own my wife. My wife owns me. Okay. You read the word own, that's ownership. When you read the word your, that's possessive. So I own her, lock, stock, and barrel. She owns me, lock, stock, and barrel. Amen. I have authority over her life. She has authority over my life. That's 
Okay. So, so let's look at it. Why submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto who? The Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now that's talking about the man. That's talking about the redemptive powers of the man. That's talking about his position in the family, okay? Therefore, as the church is subject unto the wife, so unto the church let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now let me stop and say this. That's all that's given there. Okay, in other words, it doesn't say to the man, okay, here, here is a, you know, uh, here's a megaphone. Shout it from the mountaintop. That's not, no, you, really, the, the, the instruction is given first to the follower, not the leader. Isn't that interesting? So he goes to the wife and says, follow. Okay, all right, so what does that mean? That means that she has to follow her husband out of her free will as the church is supposed to follow Christ. All right. But he gives the man no authority to enforce that. What you going to do? You can crow all you want to crow, but if she's not going to follow you, you can't do a whole lot. And ma'am, you have the ability, you have the ability to derail your home. I'm trying to find the word. You, you got the ability to derail your home and make it something that God had nothing to do with simply by deciding I am not going to follow him. Boy, let's get real radical. You ready? Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Do you understand that is, that is, that is an unbelievably radical concept when put in the setting where it is here. Do what? Love your wife. You don't just possess her. You don't just use her, you love her. Husbands love your wife. Now, that, it, uh, that as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Well, well why? Well, this is right. Amen. Why should I obey my parents? Because it's right. Yeah. Well, give me a reason why. It's right. Yeah. Okay. Does it mean that they have a great education? Okay. Does, does it mean that, 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 that somehow they've attained a level of brilliance? The rea reality of the matter is this. Most parents are a little bit insecure about their parenting. That's right. sure. Because we realize our frailty and, and the reality that we're facing things today that we never dreamed we would face. Good night. And all of a sudden now, uh, we've got we've to navigate through this. And so God says to the kids, hey, you, you, you obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee 
and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now let me just throw that in reverse if we could and look at the other side of that coin, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. If you don't obey that, then the opposite of that is true. You're not going to have a, it's not going to be well with you. And according to the Bible, your life will not reach its full potential. Father, help us now open our hearts and our minds. Give us tonight, dear God, the things we have need of, and we'll thank you and praise you. We're so grateful for the joy of being here and the time we've had together. You've blessed, and, and we ask you just to do it again tonight, Lord Jesus, and, uh, and help us as only you can. In Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Love is the theme of more music, more books, more movies, and more poetry than all the other subjects combined. Love. I mean, I mean, it comes to the surface on Valentine's Day. They sell, they sell chocolates and my word, roses and flowers. I mean, it's a, it's a billion dollar industry, love is. It's amazing. And uh, how much money is made off of that one subject. And I love, to, I love to clown around a little bit about how if you give something sacred to the country music industry, they have a, they have a, a skill in bringing it down to where the boot meets the dirt. I looked up some songs. These are actual, the titles of country music songs. How can I miss you if you won't go away? <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's something, you know, that, that'll draw you close together. Another one is this, you're the reason our kids are ugly. That's a song, I mean. Here's one that's just, I mean, I'm, I'm like, this guy's a sissy. But anyhow, I just cut my finger on a piece of my broken heart. What a wimp. What a wimp. Suck it up, son, and come on. You know what I'm saying? Get out of here. Here's another one. I wouldn't take her to a dog fight because I'm afraid she'd win. Son. Wow. Okay. That was written in a divorce lawyer's office. Here's this one. I'd rather pass a kidney stone than another day with you. <laughs> and then finally, this one. Finally, this one. My wife just ran off with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. Uh, oh, my word. I'm telling you, it's funny. I hope your experience to whatever degree it is with love, is, is not as cynical <laughs> and as critical as those are. I remember years ago a song when I was young, and it talked about looking for love in all the wrong places. It's almost prophetic because the reality of the matter is I've seen that lived out in so many people's lives over the years of my ministry, looking for love in all the wrong places. The reality of the matter is if you're going to find love, as far as true love is concerned, the foundation of that can be found only in the Word of God. First of all, God is the source of love, for God is love. And so if we're going to learn how to love one another, it has to be a triangle. It is, it is not just based on a singular relationship. The greater, the greater that triangle becomes, 
um, the closer we are to God and the closer we are to each other. If I could give you a triangle here and my wife and me here, the closer we get to God, the closer we're getting to each other. And that happens over the years. You start out down here, but as you begin your ascent in your relationship and your walk with God, you find out that you're actually understanding each other better and you're growing closer to each other. Now, let me help you with this. Listen carefully. Nobody has a neutral effect upon a church. You don't. People say, well, I'm just, I'm just here, preacher. I'm just, I'm just coastal. No, you're not just here. No, you, you either have a positive impact or a negative. Listen to me. You either add to or subtract from. Nobody has a neutral impact upon a church. And, and the reality is, it's impossible, it's impossible to have a revival in the church without having revival in the home. You, you can't do that. You, you can't do that. You can't say, well, we, I'll tell you what, our home's a mess, but bless God, it's going on at church. No, no, no. No, the reality is the church is only as strong as the, as the families that are in it. And so the importance of, of our families, as far as the, the makeup of, of the church membership, is that we have strong, vibrant families who are connected to Christ in a very, very intimate way. And the home, so the church is only as strong as the families that make it up. Listen to me. The home, the home is only as strong as the individuals in it, in their commitment to walking with Christ. You see, as a pastor, I can be a villain at home and a hero at church. That's, that's utter hypocrisy. For me to, for me to um, uh, come to church and everybody say, oh, Pastor Dean, God bless you. And then in the home, my family's there saying, what a hypocrite. So, so the, the importance is this. Before I can contribute um, my influence to church, my ministry has to begin in my home. And yours does too. So for you, to, for you to help strengthen this church, you have to first help strengthen your home. And it's very, very important. Now here's the problem. The problem is most people don't know how to build a biblical marriage or a Christ-honoring home. Do you know why? Because, because after generations of dysfunctional families, what we have done is we've just handed down from generation to generation a dysfunctional family. Split homes, broken homes, unfaithful homes. I mean, it's unbelievable the scars that people bring with them from their family unit. I sit down and talk with grown men that are 50 and 60 years old, and I'm trying to talk with them about their walk with Christ, and all of a sudden their bottom lip starts quivering and their eyes flood with tears, and they wind up choking and, 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 and can't get words out. And I'm like, all right, calm down, just, just take your time. And then they begin to tell me about their family life when they were kids. And how they were good for nothing and never complimented by their dad and could never please their dad. And how their mom and dad were at each other's throats all the time and what a horrible life they lived and, and so on and so forth. And what happens is that carries over. And I found out that so many people that have marital problems, uh, it's because of the fact that they suffered through that themselves. And, and though they hated it, somehow they wind up repeating it in their life. And the pattern is passed from generation to generation. Now, let me, let me tell you, God created the family. 
I couldn't give a backwards flip what the world is saying today. The last thing on earth I'm going to do to find out how to design a family is to go to people that don't even know how to design life. They're, they're, they're trying to redefine the family. They have no authority and no right to do that. You, you, can't take, you can't take what God made when he gave us a blueprint and say, I'm just going to alter the blueprint. No, you're not the owner. You can't alter the blueprint. And so all the tomfoolery we've got going on today is, is absolutely ludicrous. And, and we have to go back to the blueprint in God's word that he gave us. Now, let's go to Genesis. Could you do that? Genesis chapter 1. And I, I, I want to just bring you through some things and we're going to work our way back over to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to talk with you tonight uh, about the family unit because, because it's so vitally important that, that this church uh, have strong families that are, that are involved in it and praying for it and, and, uh, and, and make up the core of what this church is. First of all, let, let me just say this very, very quickly. God did not create us to fly solo. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that there are some people that aren't married. I don't, I, don't, I don't mean that at all. Some of the finest Christians I know are people that aren't married. I'm not saying that it's God's will for every single person to be married. That's not my statement. I'm saying this. I'm saying that God didn't create any of us to fly solo. None of us. We're all created for community. That's a part of our DNA. Okay, that's what he placed in us. That's why, as you study the history of man, you'll find tribes... You find nations. That's why he left us a local New Testament church because as believers, as believers, we need the community of other believers in which we find encouragement and find fellowship and, 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 and find edification and all those things that were not handed, they weren't handed to para-church organizations. They were given to the local New Testament church. And I'm not saying that all other things of faith are our enemies. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just simply making the statement that Jesus left us a local New Testament church. And that's, that's the institution through which he is determined to work his economy. The Great Commission was given to the church. Baptism was given to the church. The Lord's Supper was given to the church. Nobody else has authority at all uh, to exercise those things. And so, so here it is, Genesis uh, chapter. Now, it's interesting. What, is the, what does the word Genesis mean? It means beginning. Okay. So when I want to find out, did you know this? Did you know that every major doctrine in the Bible can be found in Genesis? Every single one of them have its roots in the book of Genesis. I mean, there's a scarlet thread running from Genesis all the way through Revelation. The, the Messiah... The Savior of the world is found here in Genesis chapter 3. The promise, the promised seed. And, and, and in Bethlehem's manger, he became the promise kept. God keeps his promises. So every doctrine that we believe as New Testament Bible believers can find its root here. Now let me just stop and say this. Listen to me. That's exactly why it's under attack today. That's exactly why... That, that, that in school systems 
And in education, so-called higher learning, they're attacking the book of Genesis because if they can take Genesis down, nothing else that follows all the way through Revelation has any credentials for it whatsoever. Because this is the foundation upon which our entire faith is founded. So, so he, he begins here in Genesis chapter 1, and he begins to establish so many fundamental truths. And, and he does so much so that seven different times in the creation process, God declares something to be good. Okay, so just look at it. Verse chapter 1, verse 4, uh, and God saw that it was good. Verse 10, it was good. Verse 12, it was good. Verse 18, it was good. Verse 21, it was good. Verse 25, it was good. And then we get to verse 31, and God sort of sums it all up. And it says, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was what? Very good. Boy, don't you like that? God said, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. And then when he sums it all up, he said, you know what? It's very good. It's very good. That's how God summarized his creation. Now, stay with me. Have you, have you ever been on a one-way street when you won't go on the right one way? <laughs> yeah, man. I, you know, I've turned on the street one time before, and, and Susie said, Dane, What? This car's coming at us. Well, I thought that looked strange. But anyhow, yeah, so, you know, so I just act like, well, I'm just pulling in here, you know, and people are honking at me and calling me everything in the book. But listen, what I do when I read this, I'm reading I'm verse 4, verse 10. I mean, we're going along good. Verse 18, verse 21, verse 25. I mean, every, look, traffic is, traffic is running smoothly. It's all good. It's all good. And God says, very good. Then chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is, uh-oh, son, we're going down a one-way street. Everything's been good. Now, all of a sudden, I feel like traffic has reversed because God said, it is not good that the man should be, what, alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And so amidst all of the things that God has declared to be good, now, all of a sudden, God goes in reverse in the other direction and said, but there's something here that is not good. What is that not good thing? Of all the good things, what's the not good thing, man? Alone. Now, just, would you think about this for a moment? I'm perplexed when I read that. Because man was not alone. I mean, he wasn't. He met with God in the cool of the garden. So, so, so man had God. I mean, am I right or am I off on that? I mean, I, I, think, I'm, I think I'm reading this right. I mean, so, so man has God. They meet in the cool of the garden. And now all of a sudden, God said, it's not good that man be alone. And, and I think to myself, well, Adam wasn't alone. God was there. He had God. Do you understand the depth of what God is saying here? The depth of what God is saying here is that he created Adam to need more than God. More than just God in his life. I ought to get my phone out. This is, I love this. You're staring at me like a calf at a new gate. That's not Brother Herring. That's Brother Heretic. Now just stay with me. Just, just stay with me for just a moment. I didn't write this, remember, okay? 
Don't stone me yet. In fact, if you're going to stone me, I've got some cowboy cookies. Just use those, and, and we'll smile all the way through it. But anyhow, so, so, so here it is. So, so the, the, the reality was God is saying here that, that just Adam and me, that's not good. That's not good. He designed man to need partnership. He designed man to need community. He's saying, he's saying that he had not created man to walk this journey alone. And so here is God and here is Adam. And God said Adam was alone. That's, that's a striking remark to me. And I think sometimes we need to recess the jury and, and go take a breather for a moment. And let that soak in a little bit. In fact, the book of Psalms, chapter 68, verse 6, says that God setteth the solitary in families. You know what God's actively doing? God is actively working to get us connected to community. And down through the history of his people, we have seen that. How many of you know what the word hogwash means? Okay, different places in the nation, they call it hogwash. But anyhow, it's hogwash. All right. So, so can, I, can I just tell you this? The idea, the idea that, that, that God is bypassing the local church and you don't need a church and it's just me and Jesus and me in the back 40 and me in nature, that's a bunch of hogwash. That's exactly what that is. That's hogwash. No, God, God's, God, God said, no, no, no. God said, listen to me. It's not just going to be me and you in the back 40. Oh, I understand we can connect with God. But God said, no, no, I didn't create you to walk this journey alone. I created you to need other people in your life. And every believer who loves Jesus and walks with Jesus, every single one of them need to be a part of an old-fashioned Bible-preaching church where they can be edified, a New Testament church where they can be edified. Well, somebody says, well, all, all I need is God. God is enough. Well, that's absolutely true if you're talking about the grace and mercy to sustain us. But if we're talking about relationships, it's not true. It's not Bible. It's just not Bible. You can't just go out somewhere and say, it's good, it's me and God. No, no, you and, you and God, God said, don't just, just hang around there. Go out and, and, and be a part of a community. and Love people. Now, Watch this, verse, chapter 2, verse 18. All right, so God, so God, here's, here's God's statement, it's not good. Well, there's a problem right off the bat, okay? When God calls something not good, there's, there's something going on. There's, there's trouble there. So God, unlike people, doesn't just present a problem. God's going to give you the solution. All right, so here he is. Here he is. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. All right, what's the solution? I will make a help meet for him. So God said, I, I'm going to take this man that's not good alone, and I'm going to create a help meet, somebody that will be a help meet for him. Now, I love word studies, and if you study that word help, you'll find out that it means someone to help, someone to strengthen, and someone to complete. That's why you'll hear preachers say every now, woman is a completer. God said to man, he, here's what he said to man, uh, about man. He said, man alone is not good, so I'm going to give him someone to complete him. Now, now, I want you to think about this for a moment, okay? Everybody think. Everybody think. Here we go. If Susie completes me, 
That doesn't mean that she's weak. It means that I'm weak. You ever thought about that? It, it means that I can't do what I need to do without her. Wait a minute. It means that I can't become what I need to become. I can't be what I need to be without her. So God gives her to me because I don't have enough in and of myself to become that person and to accomplish those things. And, 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 and so in my weakness, God says, I'm going to give you someone that will help you do what you cannot do by yourself, that will be strength in your weakness, and that will help you accomplish the things that I have for you to accomplish. It means literally that she is indispensable to me. Now that'll change your whole idea if you get a hold of that, of what marriage is really all about. It's the fact that I can't live without her. It's the fact that I can't, I, I can't breathe without her. It's the fact that I can't become what God wants me to become without her. She, she's, not, she's not my employee. She's my partner. She was given to me by God because God looked down and saw Dean and said, Dean's got weaknesses. Dean can't do it by himself. Dean, Dean isn't the package deal that, that he may think he is. So I'm going to give him somebody that will help him in this journey become what God wants me to become. And I stand behind the pulpit and preach and invited in meetings to preach. And to a certain degree, she stands in the shadows, to a certain degree. But the reality of the matter is, if you will subtract her from me, I am nothing. And I'm not good alone. So what I have to do is I have to learn to... to I have to learn to appreciate her value and see her value and, and treat her thusly, okay? Now, God, God brought man, God brought, uh, man, let, me, let me give you the verse that Jesus gave in, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, for what God, therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. The, the, word, the word together, that's God's will. The word asunder, that's Satan's will. Okay? So what God puts together, don't let any man put asunder. Now listen carefully. The reality of the matter, our word divorce comes from a Latin word that means to go in opposite directions. Did you know this? Did you know that you can have a ring on your finger and a, and a marriage license stuck in a drawer somewhere or in a scrapbook, and yet you can be divorced in certain areas of your life? You can, you can be together on finances, and you can be divorced with kids. You're going in the opposite direction. And I realize it's not a legal divorce, but I'm talking about practically Practically, there can be areas of your life that, 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 that you're in agreement on, and maybe, maybe you're divorced in finances in agreement with the kids. Uh, maybe maybe there's, no, there's no real intimacy in your marriage, and you pay your bills, and you're just in survival mode, and you're getting through all that. And yet what God says here, God is saying here, I, no, no, I, I'm bringing you for togetherness. It's not good that you be alone. So what God brings together, don't let anybody do anything to sever that. And I think that sometimes we just need to take an absolute long inventory of our life and find out where the gap is. Where's the gap? Nobody has to tell you that. You know exactly where it's at. Where's the gap in your relationship? Where's the gap in your marriage? 
And if it's there, it's probably because you haven't learned to realize the value that each of you hold uh, uh, in, in your life, you see. Um, uh, the woman was taken from the man. By the way, what if the man decided to repossess his rib? Anyhow, just think about that for a moment. So, so the, idea, the idea is I need her and she needs me. Listen to me. She is as dependent upon me. Why? Because she came from me. Wait a minute. If you take me out of her life, what is she living for? What's her purpose in life? That's why oftentimes there's struggles when that happens naturally and people are trying to figure out where they're at and they, they, they have to follow God, get connected with God because God still has purpose for them. You see. But she finds, she finds you, you, you know, God gave her to me to help complete my journey. So here's the amazing thing. She, she, my journey and, and my purpose in life becomes hers. And she walks up to this weakling of an individual and says, Dean, <laughs> you can't do this alone. So God brought me to you, okay? Bethlehem Baptist Church, Fairfax, Virginia. John Bonds did the ceremony. And we walked down there. All I knew is I thought she's the best looking thing I've ever seen in my life. I didn't marry her because she could quote the Bible. I knew I could train her teaching her Bible. Okay? I married her because she's good looking. All right, now listen to me carefully. I did not know it then, but I know it now, and I appreciate it more today than I ever have. And that is simply, I wouldn't be where I am today if God hadn't brought the completer into my life, okay? Now, let me talk with you for, about this. So, so, so what did God say he wanted to give man a what? A help what? Oh, I like the first word. I like help. You know what that means? That means she's going to help me reach my potential. But if you read the word meet there and you'll study, you, you know what it literally means? Help meet? It means this, one who stands in front of or opposite to. <laughs> That's not real fun. I, I like the help part. I want Susie to help me, but here's what I don't want Susie to do. I don't want her to stand in front of me or, or to stand opposite to me. Okay. But the reality of the matter is this. That's why God brought her into my life. And, and, and there are times we, we don't need agreement to become better. We actually need challenge. And who's the person that can better challenge me is the person that knows me best of all. Now, Brother, Brother Wes and I are, are dear friends. And uh, if, if, if he felt like I was going astray on something, he, he would pull me aside. Brother Dean, I love you now. Listen, I, I just think, I think you're just... I think you're getting off base. That's what I would need. I need somebody patting me on the back and saying, hey, everything, you, you're good. No, no, no. If you love somebody, there comes times you have to challenge them. But the reality of the matter is there's been times in my marriage when, when, when Susie has come to me and said, ah. I used to write articles in the newspaper. I, I wrote them for the Baptist Times. But before that, I was, I was on Bleacher Report. And, and, and then in the, I, was, I wrote articles in the newspaper for years. And... Uh, and I love writing. So I remember one article I wrote in, in Georgia. I wrote an article called, There's No Hope in the Pope. Son, that went over like a lead balloon, man. I had Catholics coming out of the woodwork, man. I had the, the, the local priest was going bonkers. And I said, wait a minute, calm down. There's no hope in Dean Herring either. See, they, they didn't want to hear that. They just, they just read one. Sometimes she would say to me, 
Dean, that article's a little sharp. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, thank you. And my daughter Dixie, who's just like me, says, print it, Dad, print it, you know. And, um, but sometimes you need somebody. You know, we don't, we don't like being questioned, and we don't like being confronted, and we don't like being held accountable, but we need that from each other because it brings, it, it brings a balance to us as individuals. And she's not my employee, and I'm not her employee. She isn't here to carry on my agenda. She's here to help me fulfill God's agenda. There's got to be a partnership. We've got to be on the same page. And the reality of the matter is without the help meet, the relationship will always, always be unhealthy. Now, listen to me carefully. Sometimes we get the idea that a struggling relationship is an unhealthy relationship. No, no. The, the struggle is the sign of the health. I mean, if you're here and, 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 and there's some struggles you're going on, by the way, look, when you walked down the aisle and said yes, you were saying yes to struggles. You didn't know it then, okay? You were signing up for struggles. And I don't care how good a relationship looks from a distance, if you get real close to it, it's got struggles, my friend. Every single one of them. And so the question is not, do you struggle? The question is, how do you struggle? Do you struggle against each other or do you struggle with each other? And i got to be honest with you that early in my relationship, I think probably I found myself struggling more against. I was immature and, 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 and thought that, that by somehow demanding respect, I would get it. And the reality of the matter is, though we were always happy and and we didn't always, I didn't always handle conflict in, in an appreciative way when she would say, I don't think that's, I, I, I just thought, no, I'm the leader and I'm barging ahead, follow me. And I needed her help and didn't know it. I, I'm going to tell you that sometimes it may get to a place that you need to come sit down with your pastor and his wife and say, look, we're really struggling with some things and we're butting heads and we need you to get over this. But don't think because you're butting heads that somehow the struggle in your relationship is a sign of, of a disease. It's actually a sign of health. The Bible said in 1 Peter 3, 7, we're heirs together of the grace of life. Do you know what that means? Listen carefully. This is so important. It means that God will not give to you what he will give to the both of you. I can go to God and say, God, I need this. And God would say, well, where is she? Amen. She's back here. We'll go get her and get right. And so I go back and get Susie and say, honey, I'm sorry. And so together we come together and we come before God. God said, now I'll give it to y'all. I'll give to y'all what I won't give to either one of you as individuals. You see, we're heirs. That means we inherit together the goodness of God that he has for us as a couple, not as individuals. Why? Because it's not good that man be alone. See, I want to say, it's me and you, God. No, no, God said, no. It's me and y'all. Go get her. And I have to get that right. Now, let, let me, I'm going to wrap this up, and I, I want you to hear this because this is really important. Let's go back to Ephesians 5 in our mind. 
In Ephesians 5, we're going to find out why the struggle is there. Because God, in Ephesians 5, is handing out assignments. Okay? He's handing out assignments. How many of you in here are welders? You weld. Okay, I know the pastor did some. And, all right, let, let's say this. Let's say I go to a welder and I say, I need you to, I need to, I need you to wire my house. I, I, no, I can, I can fix your trailer for you. I can weld the tongue on your trailer for you, but I don't, I don't wire houses. See, that's not up your alley, you see. So what God does, you know what God does here? He doesn't give us the, he doesn't give us the thing that's the easiest for us. So let, let's do it in reverse. He says to the child in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, obey. I don't obey. Okay, the, the, the saddest thing is when you see a child that has never learned to obey and they become adults who've never matured and never grown up. So you've got a spoiled child that turns into a spoiled adult. And I've met people in church before and I, I thought to myself, dude, you've never grown up. You're just a spoiled kid. You come in here with your agenda and you want everybody to dance with you. And the reality of the matter is you've you, you got to grow up. They, you know... You joined us. We didn't join you. So the children are to obey for one reason. It's right. Okay? It's right to do. And God says, if you'll do that, it'll be well with you. And I'll bless you. And by the way, you'll get up one day, and you know what? You'll be out of your parents' house, and guess what? You'll have kids of your own. And let me, let me give you a testimony. Your mom and dad will become smarter the older you get. Strange how that happens. You'll look at your kids and say, okay, that's why they did it. That makes sense to me. So the harder assignment to the kid is obey. I mean, it goes against every grain they have. Then he says to the husband, love. Well, good night. I don't want to love. I'm selfish. <laughs> Men are selfish by nature. If you don't believe that, look in your garage. Okay? Men are selfish by nature. So he goes to the man and said, I'm going to give you the harder assignment. You know what the easier assignment for man would be? To obey. Yeah. Well, what do you mean, preacher? Well, go to the military. And I'm not saying there aren't, there aren't different instances, but go to the military. Look, look, go, go to Gettysburg and stand across the field looking at the copse of trees where a general said to Pickett and his men and Lewis Armistead and said, charge across that field while they blow you to smithereens with grape shot and canister shot, and they're going to mow you down in this field. But when I say charge, charge, and he said charge, and they all charged into death. Why? Because men know how to, how to follow orders and submit to authority. So the easier assignment would have been said, obey. But he didn't say that to men. He said, you selfish, you love. You know what I've never had to do with my granddaughter? Say love. They walk around with baby dolls and they're cuddling the baby doll. They're loving the baby doll. They're gentle and they're kind. Why? Because that's the nature. So God doesn't say to the woman, love. She says to the woman, follow, obey, yield. And the woman says, him? <laughs> him? You talk about me and him? And that's where the struggle comes in. Because God gives us the heavier weight and the more difficult task. 
is given to each gender in each, each position. God said, I'm not going to make this easy on you. Listen to me. To have a good marriage, it, 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 you've got to pay the price. You've got to pray the price. You've got to be willing to invest yourself. You've got to be willing to say, I love you. You've got to be willing to say, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? We've got to get all in on this thing. Because, because by ourselves, and we can sit next to each other and be absolutely alone. You, you understand what I'm saying? You can come to church, walk in church, sit next to each other in church, leave church, Greet the pastor as you leave together and go home. Listen, you can be a million miles apart. And God says, if that's the case in your home, it is not good. So if you want a good home, then get together tonight. Just close the gap. You may need, children may be here tonight that need to go to their mom and dad and say, look, just thank you. I've been causing a struggle, been griping. I held my dad's head in my hands as he drew his last breath. My dad never mowed a lawn in front of me once I became an adult. I thought, no way, buddy. You took care of me my whole life. I'm not going to sit down watching TV while you're out in the heat mowing the lawn. I just, look, young people, quit making your parents gripe at you to do your job, the thing that you ought to be thankful to do. Do it willingly. And husband and wife, maybe you need to get together. Maybe families, I don't know. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Could we bow our heads, close our eyes? Are you alone tonight?